uh, Canada to be an au pair um, for a family with two small children. And the wife of, of this family had a serious illness at the time, and the husband really needed help caring for the little ones. That's why they were looking for an au pair. Unfortunately, in time, the illness took the wife's life, and that left the husband alone with, with small children to look after with the help of this au pair. Well, after a while, the husband worked through his grief, and he began to realize there was a lot of chemistry between him and the au pair. And uh, in fact, as time went on, the two of them fell in love, and they eventually got married. Can you imagine the adjustment that that was for this young woman? Before, this man had been her boss, and she had been there to serve him and his family. Her life had been regulated by his schedule, the family schedule, by the hours that she had to work and the hours that she got off. Her lifestyle had been limited by the modest au pair income that the family paid her. But now, all of that had changed. Now, she was this man's love, his wife, a free and an equal partner, able to enjoy her, her new husband's love and all the blessings that were his. And, and that, Paul says in today's passage, is something like the wonderful transformation that's available to us when we put our faith in Christ. Let's take a look. In today's passage, Paul is continuing to unpack the argument that he's been making to the Galatians that our relationship with God is based on our faith in Jesus Christ and not on our keeping of God's law or any set of religious rules for that matter. In today's passage in verse 23, Paul says, the Old Testament law was like a prison that had kept the Jewish people in custody. It was a prison which restrained their movements and restricted their activities. Now, let me explain why this prison was a good thing. Last Sunday, we were reminded in verse 22 that if our trust is not in Jesus Christ, then we're under the control of sin. That we can't stop sinning. That is, we can't stop trusting in ourselves more than we trust in God. And, and many of us can't stop being more concerned about ourselves than we are for anybody else. Now, given our inclination for this selfishness, imagine a world which had no moral code and no, no moral consciousness. Imagine a world with no laws, with no law enforcement, where, where everything was legal. Imagine a world where kids aren't taught right from wrong and everyone grows up doing whatever they want. We see some glimpses of that at times today, don't we? <laughs> Things quickly degenerate in situations like that, in cultures like that, with urban decay, corruption, scandal, you name it. Because with no sense of right or wrong, we become our own worst enemies. And we wind up ruining our own lives and everyone else around us, their lives as well. So God put his own special people, the Israelites, in prison, so to speak, to protect them from themselves. God gave them laws to restrict their behaviors. Verse 23, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. It's kind of like if we could have the slide, it's kind of like Curious George. This little monkey always gets himself in heaps of trouble whenever he's left alone, right? If you've seen the children's books or shows, it seems the only way to keep George out of trouble is to lock him up tight in a cage. 
And, and that's what God did in a way for his people through the law so they wouldn't destroy themselves through their behavior and so God wouldn't have to punish them as much for their sinful behavior either. All right, you can put the slide down. So the law was like a prison and it served a good purpose. But God didn't create us to be in prison, to always need to be restrained against our will. No, that wasn't God's intention for us. As we've seen in Galatians in past weeks, the law was was therefore only a temporary band-aid until the real solution to the sin problem came. And the real solution, Paul says in verse 23, came when this faith was revealed. And the faith that, that Paul's talking about, the real solution to our sin problem came when God sent Jesus Christ to us and invited us to put our faith, to put our trust in him. To explain this further then, Paul gives us another analogy, moving on to verse 24. He changes the, the word picture he's working with from prison. And Paul says, the law was our guardian until Christ came, or some of your Translations, I think, say we were under the supervision of the law until Christ came. Literally, this word guardian refers to a specific type of person who had a specific function in Paul's day. A guardian was a a servant in a Roman household. They were sort of like a nurse or a governess would be in a uh, a very wealthy household who looked after the children on behalf of the parents. That's what a guardian was, this word that Paul's using. So let's say you're a child in a wealthy Roman household in the first century AD. Your parents are important people. They're very busy doing whatever rich, powerful people do. And and so one of the slaves is assigned to be your guardian. They look after you. They make sure you're properly bathed and dressed, that you eat your vegetables, that you're disciplined, that you stay out of trouble. But even more importantly, the guardian has one very specific job in that culture. They are to make sure you get a solid education. They take you every day to the private school or to the tutors where you've been enrolled who are to provide you with this education. They drop you off. They pick you up. No loitering with your friends after school. The guardian's there to make sure you get to school and that you get home. They check on your behavior at school. They check on your grades. They make sure you're doing your homework. They do everything they can to make sure that you get an excellent education. And they have total authority over you, over your life for this purpose. Now, Paul says, the, the law was like this. It was, it was a guardian. God put the law in charge of the Jewish people to, to keep them out of trouble, to protect them from harm, and to make sure they got properly raised, that they got properly educated and disciplined in proper behavior, proper morality in the ways of God. That was the purpose of the law. But here's the thing. A a guardian didn't remain in charge of a child forever. There came a time in a Roman child's life when the child was maybe 14 or 15 years old when he or she went through a rite of passage into adulthood. There was no adolescence back then. There was no in-between stage. Back then, you were a child one day and you were a full-fledged adult the next day after this rite of passage. And the distinction between your status as a child and then your status as an adult was so sharp that children and adults wore different clothing. An adult, a child rather, wore a toga with a broad purple hem with a a blue stripe that let everyone know that that person was a child. Because an adult wore an all-white toga, no purple hem. It was called a toga virilis. 
And, and when the rite of passage took place in which a child became an adult, a child would take off their purple striped toga and they would put on their all-white toga virilis. And after that ceremony, you were officially an adult. Look at my toga. All white. I'm an adult now. And at this point, the guardian's job was done. The guardian handed you off to your parents who would then generally mentor you in the family business as a young adult. The guardian was no longer in charge of you. You were no longer under their authority. You were free. Now you are an adult in the household too. And Paul says this, this is what happened to the Jewish people when God sent his people their Messiah, their king, Jesus. They used to be under the guardianship of the law. But now that God has sent them their promised king, God is calling them to follow this king. And in doing so, God is calling them to grow up, spiritually speaking, to put on their spiritual toga virilis and to take their place in God's family as spiritual adults. So Paul concludes in verse 25, now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We are no longer under the supervision of the law. You see, God's goal isn't for his people to remain children forever. It's rather that they grow up, that they become responsible spiritual adults. Children need rules to supervise them, but mature adults don't, or at least they shouldn't, right? (laughs) Think of it this way. Is there anyone here who has kids who have gone, uh, go or have gone to the same school that you went to when you were their age? Anyone? No, but sometimes it happens, right? Uh, I remember uh, the Kemp's used to go to this church, and Greg sent his kids to the same school that he went to. If you don't move away from where you grew up, that can happen. So imagine that's your situation, and it's parent-teacher conference time, and you're the parent now. You as a parent go back to the school, the same one that you attended years before. And you walk into the classroom, and maybe you had classes in in that exact room or one just like it. And and it's sort of nostalgic. Maybe it has that same old school smell that you remember from childhood. And and you look around the room, and, and then let's say you notice that on the walls are still posted the same rules that were there when you were a child. Keep your hands to yourself. No talking in class, et cetera, right? But here's the thing. As a parent now, the rules are still there, but they no longer apply to you. You're no longer bound by the rules on the wall. Why? Because you're an adult now. You've matured. You don't need rules like that anymore because you naturally behave in a respectful, mature way. Just like a Roman adult is mature and doesn't need a guardian anymore. And that, Paul says, is is how it is with the law. God's people are done with the law. It doesn't have authority over us anymore once we've put our faith in Jesus Christ. Because what did Jesus say in Matthew 5 about the law? He said, I have come to fulfill the law. The law was there to point to me, Jesus says. The law was there to protect people from themselves, to keep them out of trouble until I came. The law was there to prepare them for something greater, to prepare them for me. Now that I've come, it's time to grow up, to to become spiritual adults, 
How? By following me, Jesus says. And then beginning in verse 26, Paul gets to the exciting part and he begins to talk about what it means to live no longer in prison under the law, no longer under the guardianship of the law, but rather as free, mature children of God in God's household. And verse 26 is one of the most amazing and wonderful moments in Galatians because in our passage so far, Paul has been talking about the Jews. And they're being imprisoned under the law. They're being under the guardianship of the law. You'll notice Paul uses the pronouns we and us. Verse 23, we were held in custody. Verse 24, the law was our guardian. Verse 25, we are no longer under a guardian. But now in verse 26, Paul switches from we to you. Because now Paul's including the Galatians who aren't Jews. They're Gentiles. And here's the most amazing news Paul shares, verse 26, talking to the Galatians now, using you rather than we. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles, you Gentiles, you Galatians too. Not only were the Jews called to grow up when Jesus came, not only were they enabled to be God's own adult children, But by faith in Jesus, the Gentiles who who didn't used to know God, who didn't even have God's law, who had no guardian to teach them the ways of God, but were just out on the street, spiritual orphans, ignorant, those Gentiles are invited to now into God's family, adopted in by faith, by putting their faith in Jesus. So in Christ Jesus, Paul says, you are all children of God through faith. Amazing, right? Let me try to give you a sense of what this is like. Let's say you get your first job out of college, and you're one of the lucky ones. You're not working at Starbucks. You found a job in your field. It brings in a good salary. You have health benefits. And this is a huge opportunity. It's a huge blessing. Your parents are so proud of you. But let's say you blow it. You get greedy. You start embezzling money from the company. And you get caught. And the boss fires you. And so for some time, you're, you're, you're poor now, you're unemployed, you're, you're despondent. But then let's say your boss, who's an older man and extremely wealthy, has pity on you, and he pays back the amount you owed for embezzling. He pays it back himself. And he restores you to his company, and he actually promotes you and raises your salary. That would be awesome, right? But... What Paul's talking about is something even better. Because now imagine that your boss adopts you into his own family and makes you the heir of his whole fortune. That would be a blessing on a whole other magnitude, right? (laughs) And that's what God has done for the Gentiles. Giving us grace upon grace. God has adopted us and brought us into his own home as his own children. So now in verses 26 to 29, Paul's going to begin to explore with the Galatians the wonders, the blessings of their being adopted as children of God. Adult children who are no longer under the guardianship of the law. First, Paul explains how it is that we get to be God's children. Obviously, we don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. So why does God adopt us into his family? Well, Paul has already told us earlier in Galatians 3 that blessing the Gentiles from all the nations of the earth 
and including them in God's purposes and among God's people, that this had always been God's plan. Going all the way back to the very beginning of the story of God's people, back when God made a promise to Abraham, the founding father of God's people. God had promised Abraham that God was going to bless all nations through Abraham. So this was a long time in coming. God had, had planned it all along. And, and Paul showed us that. And Paul pointed us back in verse 16 we saw last Sunday. God made this promise to Abraham and to his seed. And Paul said, seed is singular. That is, God made this promise to Abraham and to one specific descendant of Abraham, which Paul said was Christ. God promised to give all the blessings, all the inheritance God had promised to Abraham to give those all to Christ, that in Christ all the promises would be fulfilled, that in Christ God's mission to reconcile the world to himself would finally be accomplished. In Christ, God would finally have a child, a son, who grew up and who was an adult, spiritually speaking, (laughs) who didn't need to be under the guardianship of the law because Christ would be mature. Christ would just want to do what was right for the sake of others, for the good of the world, in order to honor his father, God. And now that Christ has come, Paul says, if you put your faith in Christ, then what's true of Christ becomes true of you as well. Everything Christ has inherited, all the promises, all the blessings, the legacy, the calling, the mission to belong to God's people and to be part of God's plan to bless the world, it's yours if you're in Christ. You are part of God's family like Christ is. Listen to the language Paul uses to to express this. Verse 26, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. Verse 27, baptized into Christ and clothed with Christ. Verse 28, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Do you hear it? In Christ baptized with Christ, clothed with Christ, belong to Christ. All the blessings, all the inheritance, everything God promised to Abraham, the whole story of God's working out his salvation in the world, find its fulfillment in Christ, the one true son. And if we are in Christ, then what is true of him becomes true of us. I heard a great illustration of this a while back. Back in the the 1960s, there was a very wealthy man who loved art. And he he had a son who shared this love, and together they collected a a lot of great paintings by famous artists. The young man was then called to, to fight in the Vietnam War, and so he left home. And one day his father got the dreaded call. His son had been killed in battle. But the military officer consoled. He died bravely trying to rescue an injured comrade. Well, sometime later, as the father was working through his grief, he he had a visit from that comrade who said, you don't know me, but your son saved my life. He was pulling me out of the fighting when a bullet pierced his heart and he died instantly. And he was a brave man. He rescued several others before me. And I owe him my life and I want to honor his memory And your son had told me that that you love painting. I know he had loved painting. He would talk about it when we were in the service together. And I'm not much of a painter, but I dabble in painting, and and I hope you'll receive this. This is my tribute to him, and it was a painting of the son. And the the, the young man had perfectly captured the son's expression in this painting, and, and so the father was so pleased. He offered to pay him for it, and 
The, the man said, no, it's a gift. And the father hung it on his wall and, and he, he, would, he would look at it um, frequently and remember his son and so he treasured it. Well, later the father died and they, they auctioned his works of art that he'd collected. And, and the first thing up was the painting of the son. The auctioneer started the bidding at $100, but no one wanted to bid because they were there to see the great artwork, the Rembrandts, etc. They were going to buy them as an investment to add to their collection, and they're like, skip this one, you know, let's move on, they said. But the auctioneer insisted, do I have a bid for this painting? And, and nobody wanted to bid, and, and he's, the auctioneer's insisting, and they're getting angry at him. And so finally, maybe to defuse the situation, the gardener who's standing around kind of looking on, who, who worked for this estate, he'd known the boy, and so he said, I'll give $10. That was all that he could afford. And, and no one else wanted to bid, and so the painting of the sun went to the gardener. And everyone said, good, now let's get on to the priceless collection. But the auctioneer put down the gavel. The auction's over, he said. Over? What? <laughs> he explained, I couldn't reveal this until now, but there was a stipulation in the will that the one who got the sun got the whole thing. That's what Paul's saying. The one who has the sun gets the whole thing, the whole inheritance. So what do we get? Well, we get so many things. We've already seen some of them. Freedom. Adoption into God's family as God's own children. Inheriting all the promises that God had pledged to Abraham to to be God's people, to enjoy God's own presence near us, with us, in us, through the Holy Spirit. To participate in the glorious purpose of God blessing the nations as we look forward to the day when the whole creation will be ours to enjoy. We get all that and more, but Paul in particular highlights here one blessing which we might not have thought of. One other blessing that we have when we have the Son, when we become God's children. Paul highlights the blessing of unity and equality. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If we are all in Christ, then we are one. And if that's the case, then it's not what we bring to the table anymore that matters. It's not our power. It's not our privilege. It's not our pedigree. It's not our performance. Back in Paul's day, life was all about where you fell in the pecking order. There's still a lot of that today. Were you a Jew in Paul's day? Well, then God favored you more than if you were a Gentile. Were you free? Well, then you were far superior to the slaves. Were you a man? Well, in the mind of that culture, you were superior to the women. In fact, there was a a prayer which faithful Jewish men in Paul's day prayed every morning, which went like this. Baruch atah Adonai Elheinu Melech HaOlam. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a slave. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a woman. Seriously. This this is the way the world was in the first century. But, Paul says, not anymore. Not anymore. Not once you put your faith in Christ 
and receive all the blessings that come with the Son. Now, the only hierarchy left is this. There's Christ, he's the king, and there's everyone else. All the rest of us, we're equals. We only have what we have because we trust in Christ. We're all in God's family now. And in God's family, those old distinctions, those old power differentials, they have no place. Now, now uh, this, kind of, uh, this kind of equality was totally revolutionary, as you can imagine, in Paul's day. And sad to say, too often it's still revolutionary today. Because we so easily slip back into the old way of, of thinking and, and acting and we look for any excuse to think that we're better than someone else, that we deserve more privilege than everyone else deserves. But Paul says this way of thinking is a denial of our faith. It's a denial of our baptism. Verse 27, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Baptism, of course, is, is the tangible, physical, official, and public way that, that Christ has given us to put our faith in Christ, to say, I want to be a follower of Christ. I want the Son, so that through the Son, I can enjoy everything that belongs to the Son. And in Paul's day, when you were baptized, the, the ceremony went like this. You, you took off your old clothes. You entered the baptismal water naked. You were baptized. And then when you came out, you received a new white robe, the same robe that everyone else who was baptized received, which represented your being made clean and new in Christ. Clothes are a powerful symbol, right? How someone is dressed tells us so much about who that someone is, where they work, how much money they have. We even divide people up by their shirt collar color, blue collar, white collar. In Paul's day, Jews dressed differently than Gentiles. Of course, women dressed differently than men. And, and then, still as is the case today, those who are wealthy dress differently from those who are not. But when you put your trust in Christ at your baptism, you take all that off. Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free, affluent, poor. We could pick so many other things. You shed those things. You, you leave them behind. And no matter who you are, you're now clothed with only one thing. You're clothed with Christ, and you belong to Christ. And so you're equal with everyone else in God's family. It doesn't matter anymore what you've done, what you've accomplished, what you've earned, or whether you're religious or not, whether you've kept God's law or not. All that matters is what Christ has done for you. You're in him. You're, you're clothed with him. You have the son. And because you have the son, you have everything else as well. So, do you have the Son? Have you been baptized? Have you, you put your faith in Jesus by going down into the water and, and leaving behind your old life and being cleansed of, of all that and coming up made new with, with a new family, a new identity, a new life clothed in Christ? If you haven't, I'd love to talk to you about being baptized this summer. And for those of you who have the Son... Let's enjoy our new identity and the difference that it makes in the new family God has given us. And right now, let's respond by worshiping in gratitude what God has done for us.